Welcome back to Psych for Peds, the child mental health podcast for pediatric clinicians, helping you help kids. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Falucco, child psychiatrist and mom. This episode, I continue my conversation with our guest co-host, Dr. Michaela Dennison, child and adolescent psychiatrist extraordinaire. Our hope is to share some tips and tricks for prescribing medication for depression. But before we get talking about meds, we want to start by saying that meds are only part of the multimodal treatment for depression. Ideally, treatment involves referral to CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy and also practicing a healthy lifestyle. Being active, whether it's just going for a walk or or taking a dog for a walk, that can really lift your mood. Getting sunlight helps regulate your circadian rhythm. We call all of that behavioral activation doing the things that you don't quite feel up for doing. But as you get back into that rhythm and routine, you almost trick your brain into feeling better. Excellent explanation of behavioral activation. And we know that just getting out, staying active and involved in those things that naturally give your brain a dopamine push can help you feel better. Sometimes people's depression symptoms are just too severe that although they know they should be doing these things, they're not able to engage in that is um, when we start thinking about initiating medications. So how do you approach starting a medication? What we know is the best case of improving symptoms of depression of at least moderate severity involve combining cognitive behavioral therapy with medication treatment. Combination is better than med treatment alone. It's, It's better than therapy alone. For kids who, for example, on the PHQ-9 are scoring in the mid-teens or higher, we're having a discussion very likely about medication, which can be incredibly helpful and effective. How do you choose which antidepressant to start with? When it comes to depression, we're really thinking about three medications that have the best evidence for depression treatment in adolescents and kids. That would be fluoxetine, sertraline, and escitalopram. Fluoxetine is FDA approved for the treatment of depression in kids 8 and older. So if FDA approval is really important, that, that can be a great one. It's very activating, so you give it in the morning and gives you a lot of energy. But the thing to be cautious about with fluoxetine is that it has a very, very long half-life. It sounds like a good thing for a teenager who's maybe not super compliant. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So if we're not thinking that we're going to be able to remember to take our meds seven days out of the week and it's closer (laughs) to five or six, having the long half-life can be really helpful. However, the downside about the long half-life is that if somebody develops side effects or doesn't tolerate the med, it just takes a little bit longer for it to get out of their system. While all three of these SSRIs are great for depression and anxiety, my personal preference is to start with sertraline for patients that have both depression and anxiety. And I encourage you all to go back and listen to episode five on anxiety meds with John Walkup. He had some great comments there. But essentially, sertraline works very quickly. It has minimal drug-drug interactions. I would start dosing it at night because for some kids, it can make them feel a little bit more relaxed and can help with sleep. Another great medicine to help with depression and anxiety is escitalopram or Lexapro, which has FDA approval for the treatment of depression in adolescents 12 and up. The thing that makes this medication a little bit tricky is that we know it's metabolized by cytochrome P452C19. Please don't turn off. I promise I will get to the point. Basically, what this means is that there's significant variability in our patient population in CYP2C19 phenotypes, which affects how rapidly or how slowly they metabolize this medication. So that means we have to be a little bit more careful when dosing it. 
And more importantly, this is the one SSRI that we think is the most closely associated with potential weight gain. And more recent studies have suggested that people who are slower metabolizers of the CYP2C19 subtype are more likely to get weight gain with this. The good news is this weight gain is typically much less than you would see with medications like atypical antipsychotics. The bad news is very few people tolerate weight gain as a side effect. But what about you, Dr. Dennison? How do you think about choosing which SSRI to start for depression? Yeah, I agree. I think if there's trouble falling asleep, especially a lot of ruminating at night, that I would encourage starting sertraline. And if there's a lot of fatigue and poor motivation, then I would consider Prozac fluoxetine in the morning. And then I also ask, which would you prefer, a morning medication or or an evening one to, again, get at the importance of partnering with the patient And that usually does help. And of course, you start with one, you give it a solid trial. And if this isn't the right medicine for you, whether it's side effects or it's not quite improving things like we'd hope, that's okay. We have other options and we're going to check back in real soon and then we'll make changes if we need to. And I tell that to the families because I think a lot of people with depression feel hopeless. I like giving the family a choice of at least two options. And I've learned this probably the hard way because sometimes I'll come in and I'll say, okay, this child needs the activation of a medication like fluoxetine. She can't get off of the couch and is so exhausted and so would really benefit from that. And so I go in with a hard cell that we're going to do fluoxetine. It's going to give you a lot of energy. And then immediately we're met by a family that says, oh, I mean, is that Prozac? I've heard weird things about that medication or they have bizarre mythology and beliefs about it. So sometimes it's helpful up front to just say, here are the two options that I'm thinking about. Here's why I think fluoxetine would work well for you. Here's also why I think sertraline might be a good choice. Which do you prefer? So in your experience training hundreds of pediatricians, maybe thousands, what are common things that you hear from the pediatricians sharing their hesitancy to start medications for depression? Yeah. The feedback I've gotten from pediatricians initially was the reality of when you screen for depression and it comes back positive, it feels like a little bit of a punch in the gut because you're thinking, oh, no, when you're first starting out, this is something scary to wade into. This is (laughs) going to make my day last longer, just very realistically when you've got a packed schedule. And do I feel comfortable talking about this? So I'm glad we're doing the podcast. Mm -hmm. Definitely about a decade ago, there was concerns about the black box warning. So the black box warning came out about 2004, you know, saying increased risk of suicidal thoughts and behavior on the antidepressant medications. And we saw this subsequent decrease in prescriptions of SSRIs and decrease in treatment of depression, which was not helpful from a public health standpoint. I hear less about that now, honestly, about the black box warning, but still, I think there is hesitancy in treating depression because very often pediatric clinicians receive so little training and support during residency and even beyond in how do you feel comfortable using antidepressant medications? One of the benefits of practicing and treating kids with anxiety and or depression is that you can get more familiar with at least one of the Mm -hmm. SSRIs and you begin to see these can be really effective and really helpful for families. A potential challenge for pediatricians in treating depression is knowing what is my target dose? When should I begin to see improvement and how do I know that they're really getting better? So again, trying to think really algorithmically 
bring the kids back every four weeks or every four to six weeks because it takes that long for the medications to work. I would recheck the PHQ-9, use that as a measure to gauge improvement in symptoms in addition to asking how are they doing in school, how are they feeling, what is the family noticing. If they're improving and tolerating the medication without side effects but still have a PHQ-9 score in the double digits and report ongoing symptoms, I would definitely recommend increasing the dose. We don't want to just improvement in symptoms. We really want depression gone. We can see that people can get better and get back to who they were fairly quickly when you can get them on a therapeutic dose. In addition to the fear of the black box warning, I've heard pediatricians say, what if there was some kind of a negative outcome and I had to go to court? Is this out of the scope of my practice? I would definitely say no. Mental health is a primary care issue. That's why this has been your mission in your professional career to train pediatricians on dealing with these very common conditions. If you trial at least one, if not two, antidepressants, they definitely can get better and don't need to see a child psychiatrist. We know it can take months to get in to see child psychiatry. As a child psychiatrist, I appreciate when the pediatricians mm -hmm. have felt comfortable enough or empowered enough to be able to start a medication because then by the time the child sees me, even if they're on a low dose of a medication, at least they've started a trial of medication and we begin to get information about whether that medication is well tolerated. Is this something that might work for them? Or is it something that's not going to be a good option? And so at least we can cross that off and go to the next step. Definitely. Anybody who's on psychotropic medications, when I see them for follow-up, I think about asking three questions. Apparently, the number three <laughs> is the key to this podcast. So the first question really is about compliance. So did you pick up the prescription? Mm -hmm. Are you taking it? And really, how many times a week are you taking it? Are they taking it in the morning or evening? Just because we prescribed it one way doesn't mean they're taking it that way. And how many weeks do you think you've been on it? Because a lot of times, we can't make assumptions about what's happening. Life is complicated. Mm -hmm. So first question is about compliance. And then second question is really about benefit. Have you noticed any improvement or any changes in your mood, changes in your motivation? Do you feel like you're more excited about spending time with friends or getting involved in those things you used to love to do? And then checking in about sleep, appetite, and energy. And then the third question is about any side effects. So any problems with the SSRIs? We're really going to be concerned about potential GI side effects, so tummy pains or potential headaches, any new sleep disturbance or worsening of sleep problems. And then, of course, the most obvious one to the family is usually in the rare cases where the medication can make them feel activated or feel like they have worsening mood or worsening anxiety. We want to know about that because obviously we'd stop the medicine. So like you said, sometimes pediatricians don't have that confidence and knowledge in treating depression and anxiety. So is there any resource that they could use to kind of build their confidence and reference when they're thinking about starting or continuing these medications? Great question. One of the things that we did in working with pediatricians was just come up with a really practical SSRI dosing guideline card. We will have these SSRI dosing recommendations available on our website. And what it is, it basically tells you about the four SSRIs and recommended starting doses for children and adolescents for depression and or anxiety, as well as information about typically effective doses for treating depression and effective doses for treating anxiety for each one of these meds. 
what you'll notice and what you and I know is that anxiety tends to require higher doses of SSRIs than depression does. So if somebody has both depression and anxiety, we'll see them for follow-up and they'll we'll often notice that their mood is starting to improve. They have more energy, but they're still really nervous. And to me, that says the medication is working. It started to hit the depression, but we likely need to titrate it up to a higher dose to get the anxiety as well. These are available on our website at psychedthenumber4peds.com. And we would be happy to try to empower you, especially as we're getting back to school and starting the new school year. This is a major stressor. And Dr. Dennison, as you've pointed out too, within a month or two of starting school is really when we start to see peak rates of suicide, suicide attempts, and suicidality in the context of the stressors of this transition. So being forewarned and forearmed is really good for pediatric clinicians. Well, Dr. Falucco, helping pediatricians be more comfortable screening, assessing, and treating depression is just one more tool in their toolbox to really help these children and their families feel better and do better. And I think it's just such valuable work. And I think that this podcast is a great way to really spread this message outside of our community who you've already empowered these pediatricians. They they have the knowledge down and they are helping so many families and training their, their residents on how to be more aware Um, and not afraid of mental health in kids. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at Psyched for Peds. For more information, for additional screening tools and resources, check out our website at psychedthenumber4peds.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time.